The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Capital Weekly Podcast. Today's episode was recorded live Thursday, February 25th, at a Zoom event looking at the future of work in California, specifically on the impact of Proposition 22. And this was a panel discussion featuring Leo Feller of the UCLA Anderson Forecast, Tom Hiltak of Bell McAndrews and Hiltak, and Nicole Moore of Rideshare Drivers United. Our moderator for today's discussion was Rich Eisen of the StateNet Capital Journal. So with that, I'm going to hand you over to myself, recorded earlier today, introducing the panel. Thanks so much, and we'll be back to our regular Capital League podcast in a few days. Thanks. Hello, my name is Tim Foster. I'm with Open California. We're the publisher of Capital Weekly, and I want to welcome you to today's discussion on the future of work. And the topic for today's panel is the impact of Prop 22. Prop 22 passed in November. It is now law. Uh, I should say pending lawsuits, but uh, we will be discussing that today. And I'm very happy with the panelists we have and with our moderator, Rich Eisen from StateNet Capital Journal. Um, I should thank our sponsors. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. The way we are able to do these events is with the support of uh, organizations that have offered to help us uh, financially carry carry the weight on these. And first and foremost on those is TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. They are a presenting sponsor. They sponsor everything we do and have basically been supporting us since the nanosecond we started. And I greatly appreciate their support. Uh, also supporting our events series, of which this is a part, are the Western States Petroleum Association, KP Public Affairs, Perry Communications, Capital Advocacy, California Building Industry Association, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and the California Professional Firefighters. And I'm sure our uh, Sacramento Capital junkies will know all of those names. They are regular players in the Capitol. Uh, and they are supporting our event series, of which this is the second uh, panel in our first event of 2021. Coming up next Thursday, same time, uh, noon to one will be a discussion about the big picture for work in California. Uh, so we have everything we have not talked about so far and chief among them will be people leaving California, industries leaving California, housing. How do you, how do you find affordable housing for people who are working in California? And uh, also the shrinking population in California, what does that mean? And so I invite you, if you're interested to, uh, to log in for that next week. And then the following week, March uh, 11th, will be our keynote from Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. Lorena Gonzalez wrote AB5, which was one of the most significant pieces of legislation around work and workers in California history, and was really the spark that set off Prop 22 in reaction. Uh, and she will be speaking again, noon to one on Thursday, March 11th. So. Uh, with that, I will go ahead and turn this over to Rich Eisen. Oh, and I should say, uh, 
if you have any questions, please chime in on the Q&A function. We will hold those till the end, and then I will get those over to Rich and the rest of the panel. But uh, if you have questions, I, I encourage you to ask them on the Q&A function. So with that, I will turn this over to Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen is the managing editor of the StateNet Capital Journal. Uh, Rich and I go way back to the old days of the California Journal, uh, which was uh, a, gosh, I guess 35-year nonprofit uh, magazine looking at California public policy, which was the inspiration for Capital Weekly, actually. Uh, and Rich and I worked there far too long ago, let's just say. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to Rich. And thanks again to our panelists. Thank you to, for tuning in. And uh, I'll be back at the end of the hour. Thanks much. Thank you, Tim. And thank you for having me. And yes, I always, uh, I always remember how, how far back we do go. It's been a long time I've been doing this and you, you too. And uh, I always appreciate being asked to moderate this, and, and especially uh, this panel. This is really interesting to me. I've, I've uh, spent a lot of uh, time working on stories on, on this issue over the last several years, uh, and I'm very excited. Uh, we have a great panel here today. I'm, I'm gonna briefly, briefly introduce everybody so we can uh, really get into the meat of what we're gonna talk about here today. I'm gonna start uh, with Leo Feller, who's a senior, senior economist at the UCLA Anderson uh, uh, School of Management, uh, the man behind the UCLA Anderson forecast. Uh, he has done significant research in the areas of labor economics, urban economics, trade, banking, mergers, antitrust. Uh, clearly a great person to weigh in on, on the uh, economic impacts of Prop 22. Uh, we're also joined by Thomas Hiltak, who's a political and election lawyer, managing partner at uh, the legal firm of Bell, McAndrews, and Hiltak LLP here in Sacramento. Uh, he specializes in laws governing the initiative process in California, uh, including writing ballot measures, uh, qualifying measures for the ballot, and uh, reporting campaign finance. Again, remain to what we're talking about today. And then we were also joined by Nicole Right Shares, excuse me, Right Share Drivers United, uh, an independent association of U.S. ride share drivers uh, founded in L.A. that advocates for better pay and labor rights for ride share drivers. Welcome, all of you. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. Um, so we all know that Prop 22 passed last November. Uh, it was a hard-fought battle. Uh, the gig company spent a little over $200 million to ensure that it did pass. It is now uh, the law, at least uh, uh, pending court decisions. So let's talk about that first, uh, because there are there's one significant challenge to Prop 22, but there's multiple other bits of legislation around AB5 and the issue of how rideshare drivers are classified. Uh, Tom, let me start with you, because this is your area of expertise as an attorney. Can you uh, maybe delineate a little bit the differences between these lawsuits and, and maybe what we should be paying the most attention to here? Yeah, so I think it'd be helpful maybe to start at the beginning and how this controversy sort of was born. And, and it was really born by, uh, so the issue of job classification has been within the jurisdiction of the courts and, and disputed among courts all over the country going on, you know, 200 plus years. Um, in most cases, that classification really had to do with 
with what we sort of call in the law, tort liability. In other words, who's responsible for damages caused by the worker? And so the courts would always have to make a determination as to whether a person was an independent contractor or an employee. And as time went on, we started to enact labor laws that, that relied on this classification notion. And in California, for several decades, there was a judicially created test. Um, it was called the Borello test. And there were a number of factors that went in to determine whether a particular job or a particular worker should be classified as an employee or an independent contractor for a variety of reasons. And then there was a the famous Dynamax decision, which was uh, issued by the California Supreme Court in connection with a specific case involving a trucking company and that trucking company's decision to essentially fire all of its driver employees and rehire them as independent contractors. And the court ultimately said that that was not okay, that they could, the company could not do that, that those workers retain their status as employees. Um, but in doing so, it announced a different test, which they called and is frequently referred to as the ABC test. So from there, um, the issue of job classification in all kind, types of work were, were subject to sort of reevaluation. And the legislature decided to get involved really for the first time in a broad way in applying the ABC test broadly to employment through the enactment of AB5. And what was interesting about the discussions following the enactment of AB5 and the immediate aftermath of AB5, and even in the year, the legislative year that followed the enactment of AB5, was an acknowledgement by the legislature in some instances that the ABC test simply doesn't work for some types of work. But what the legislature would not do was conclude that that test should not apply to this particular type of gig work, uh, what we sort of call the gig economy. Um, what AB5 did that was kind of unique for the first time was it empowered um, city attorneys and county council and the attorney general to bring classification lawsuits against employers um, on behalf of essentially the people of the state of California. In the past, in most worker classification uh, lawsuits, they were brought by the individual employees or, or a class of, of those employees, people who thought they should be classified as employees. Um, against a particular employer. But in this situation, um, it empowered you know, city actors to do that, city attorneys for the most part. And shortly after AB5 was enacted, you know, within months, um, the company started seeing legal action in connection with the classification of drivers. So there was a lawsuit against DoorDash, I think it was down in San Diego. There was a lawsuit against Uber and Lyft in different courts around the state. So there are a, a, a number of lawsuits that were brought by city attorneys and, and even one by the, the attorney general at the time, Javier Becerra, um, against some of the gig companies alleging that they were, um, that, their, that their workers were in fact employees and not independent contractors and there should be liability that follows from that. Um, those cases are, are, I believe, still pending. Um, I think they're almost all of them are on appeal. I think almost all of them have been stayed pending a resolution on appeal. Um, and, and I'm sure that Prop 22 will be argued to have some effect on those lawsuits. Um, my suspicion is that the state and the cities will say that at least until Prop 22 became law, um, the ABC test applied. Um, but with respect to Prop 22, Prop 22 became effective in late December. 
And from that point forward, Prop 22 now governs the classification of workers. And the, there is a challenge, um, a constitutional challenge to Prop 22. It was originally filed uh, in the California State Supreme Court. It was filed by, I believe it was SEIU and, uh, and a couple of drivers. Um, and uh, that's unusual. Um, the, the Supreme Court does not have to take cases that are filed originally in the state Supreme Court. And in this case, the court declined to take that case. Um, and, and so that left those litigants with the option of essentially going the long path, which is to file in a superior court and go through the normal litigation process, which is what they've done. So that lawsuit that was originally filed in the California State Supreme Court has been refiled in Alameda County. Um, I believe it's just been filed within the last couple of weeks. Uh, it names the state of California and uh, I believe the chair of the Industrial Labor or Industrial Labor Commission as, as respondents. And it will just go through the process. Um, so that means at some point it'll have a hearing in Alameda Superior Court. Um, whoever loses that case will likely appeal um, to the appellate district for Alameda County, and then maybe ultimately do the to the state Supreme Court. But that's a long haul in most likely. So sorry for the long answer, but there, there's a lot of different litigation that's not all connected to Prop 22, and I thought the history might be helpful. Well, it is because it is important, I think, for people to understand not just the, the, the litigation, but uh, I guess the idea and the history behind the litigation, and, and Leo, this is where I want to ask you, because we're talking specifically about the ride shares, but we're also talking in broader terms about employee classification, which Tom mentioned, uh, you know, in, in his answer. This has been an ongoing problem, as Tom mentioned, for a very long time. You're, you're the economics expert here. I've read over the years a wide range of figures as to what the impact of employee misclassification is on state economies. Um, and it's not small, no matter what number you use, it's not small. Um, what is maybe the economic uh, interest here for how this all settles out? Because it certainly appears that it will be matter to much more than just people who, you know, work for Uber and Lyft. Right. So let me actually, you know, take this answer back a ways in time, right? So you know, going back to the 1970s, 1980s, there was this movement for companies to focus on core competencies, right? So if you were to have, let's say, a retailer, CVS, right? CVS should focus on selling, you know, products, selling uh, pharmaceutical goods. Those were its core competencies. Things like snow removal in front of the stores, trash collection, uh, changing light bulbs, right? Other functions that weren't part of its core that instead of doing these in-house, it should start outsourcing these kinds of services and having subcontractors being able to provide these, right? And so this was a big movement in, you know, several parts of corporate America to outsource any kind of service that wasn't part of its core function, its core mission, right? And so this can take the form of hiring laborers, hiring contractors uh, to, you know, to do things like snow removal in front of a, a retail store, uh, you know, to having instead of in-house counsel hiring outside uh, outside lawyers uh, for help when there's when there's occasion to do that. That movement started gaining you know it, 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 you know a lot more traction in these past ten years uh, when you start moving to things like 
instead of having restaurants having their own delivery drivers, outsourcing that service to uh, something like Uber Eats or DoorDash uh, that will have you know, these drivers provided for a pool of restaurants versus individual restaurants. So you know, this has been an ongoing trend over time. Now with anything that we have in economics, you know, sometimes the pendulum swings too far in, in any kind of direction. Uh, but I do wanna talk about you know, specifically with regard to Uber and Lyft, what the data show for how people have been using these apps over time. And something for us to keep in mind as we think about, well, what would happen if workers were classified differently? So a few data points, and this, this one is from uh, JP Morgan Chase Institute. And what they're looking at is bank accounts of 30 million people who use Chase. Uh, and they're trying to see patterns in the data of, well, when does someone start receiving revenue from something like an Uber or Lyft or DoorDash uh, type platform? And what they're seeing is there will be a drop in regular wage income. And then right before unemployment checks begin, you start seeing an increase in people receiving uh, income from something like Uber, Lyft, or DoorDash, right? So this is a pattern that they were seeing that says, okay, it looks like, you know, people are using these apps or some people are using these apps as a way to tie them over between spells of unemployment. This same research, the same data set showed that people are using, you know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash during periods of time, you know, right before the holidays, uh, you know, while they still are receiving other kinds of income uh, into their checking accounts, as a way to have additional supplemental income. And so you start having this trend that, you know, yes, there's people that have core jobs. Yes, some people are using platforms like Uber and Lyft as core jobs, but a lot of people are also using, you know, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash as supplemental income, supplemental jobs. The fact that we had this additional ease of pulling workers into these kinds of jobs and just making these services more available Right, so think about how many more people use Uber and Lyft now than used, used to use taxi cabs in the past. How many more people, especially during this pandemic, you know, were able to rely on things like Instacart and you know, having shoppers do their personal shopping for them, uh, having uh, you know, people deliver food uh, for them rather than going to pick up. It has expanded the market for these services. So overall, the pool of money that is available, the economic activity that has been generated has grown, but it has come at these you know, effects on, well, how does that actually impact individual workers, right? And has the consumer benefited at the expense of workers? Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the trade-offs that we're in right now. What we see is that, yes, this has definitely benefited consumers. This has definitely benefited the economy. The economy has grown much more because of these services, right? I will give you two data points for California, which is if, you know, if you look at the trends from 2010 and you were to just follow those trends in 2010 of you know, how people use taxi cabs, the income over the past 10 years uh, would have grown uh, by about 1.2 billion in the size of this market. And instead it grew by 5.7 billion, right? So the market for people using rideshare, this is just in California, grew by multiples than it would have had it just been restricted to people that were you know, driving for uh, you know, taxi cabs. So that's, that's the game, we expanded the market. 
Now, what's the drawback? The fact that people can so easily sign up and become Uber Lyft drivers competes with people that are existing Uber Lyft drivers. It competes with people who are going to be doing this as, as you know, full-time jobs. Uh, the fact that when you have higher unemployment, you see people turning to these apps uh, to be able to supplement their income puts downward rage pressure on everyone else who is already using these apps, right? And so it becomes a question of how you do, how do you distribute this extra income, this extra wealth that has been generated in the economy? And that's where Prop 22 comes to play, right? Where it's saying, okay, look, if you were able to classify these uh, workers as employees, it would concentrate the benefits much more on a subset of people who are gonna be doing this as regular full-time jobs or as regular part-time jobs, but as regular jobs. But it's gonna be taking some of the earnings that would have been going to people that are just flowing in and out of these, uh, these app jobs, the, this work, uh, and shifting it instead to these, this other group. So those, those are really the trade-offs that we need to consider uh, when we think about you know, what, what role is the gig economy having? You know, thank you, Rich. You asked, you asked the question about the, the sort of fiscal impact of this, and there was a there was a portion of the Dynamax case that that really troubled me, and that was in the court's determination of setting a new standard. It considered what I thought for the first time was the state's interest in collecting wage withholding. Mm -hmm. In other words. If you're an employee, an employer has an obligation to withhold a certain amount of your wages as, as part of your income tax. But as an independent contractor, there is no such obligation and the contractor is responsible for declaring their income and paying tax on that. Right. For those of us who are self-employed, we know all about that, right? So we pay quarterly, whereas an employee you know, has withholding every paycheck they get. Um, and, and in my mind, that was really no interest for the court to consider whether we're gonna decide someone's an employee versus an independent contractor. That's really for the legislature to decide. Because frankly, if the legislature wanted to, if they thought that was an important concern, they could re require withholding of independent contractor payments. Mm -hmm. So that, that was an area where there was an economic um, point of view in the court's decision, which I think AB5 simply mimicked, um, that, that if, if that truly was what we were trying to get at, there was a way to deal with that directly, right? So in my view of this whole issue has always come down to, you know, what is it, what's the objection? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And was AB5 or the ABC test a solution to that problem? And in, and in many cases, it created more problems than, than it was ever hoping to solve. And well, um, I'd like to yep, yep, with yep, that. Oh, please. Yeah, let me, um, let, me, let me come to you. Thanks for being patient because I, I specifically want to ask you because you, of all of us, you're the one who's actually been a driver. <laughs> you're the one who's been the most directly affected by this. So, so please, since yeah. Prop 22 has been put into effect, what, what has this change been? What has been this impact on drivers, both who do it, as a full-time thing and, and those who maybe to um, Leo's point are, are using it as a supplemental income. Well, I mean, I like to reframe this whole discussion because this is really about the core values of the American economy, which is that yes, we can have millionaires and billionaires in our economy, but the people who do the work need to be able to put a roof over their head 
feed their kids and hopefully create a better life uh, for them, for their kids than they had themselves. What's happening with misclassification, which is what the problem is we're trying to, fall, to solve, is that um, drivers like me, um, I'm a part-time driver. I drive to make up the fact that LA housing costs are too expensive for even good jobs, right? Um, so I'm a part-time driver. What, what misclassification does is it means that even if four years ago, you were getting $2 a mile from these companies for driving your own car, paying all the expenses related to your car's wear and tear. And then today, those same drivers are being paid 60 cents a mile, and we have no idea how low it can go. But what we do know is that drivers are making significantly less than minimum wage um, and have none of the safety net that is guaranteed by basic labor law only because the companies have wrongly uh, classified us as independent contractors. We don't set our own um, contracts. We don't set our pay. We are not business owners. We work for Lyft, we work for Uber, right? So, so this is the issue that, that, that AB5 is working to solve. And Prop 22 doesn't overturn um, uh, AB5. It just carves out Lyft and Uber and the, the app-based delivery companies right to pay people far less than minimum wage while they still finance, while we still finance the fleet, uh, it's it's um it's not right. So while um you know I think the the um the figure that Leo used was that it's added five point seven billion dollars to the economy. Well, I ask where does that money go? I mean, we see people in the C suites of these companies buying you know million dollar homes. Um, where I see my colleagues in driving going homeless, um, having to decide whether they're going to um, buy a sandwich because they haven't eaten all day or put gas in their car so they can continue to work. Um, this is the very dire situation that we're in as drivers. And if we hide um, behind the fact that, oh, we're independent contractors, all it is is these companies taking more money being able to pay them what they want and not paying into our state um, safety net. For instance, let me, yeah. let me jump in there, Nicole, because I think the point you raise is, is very valid, very good point. And it really begs the question of, you know, as part of what we're doing here is talking about, you know, what now? We were already seeing other industries talking about adopting similar models. Now, how that happens, I think, is to be determined. Um, and, and this question really is for everybody, but Nicole, maybe we'll start with you. I mean, how can, uh, how likely are we to see grocery stores or, you know, uh, Leo, you mentioned, you know, restaurants outsourcing, uh, delivery trucks, or even the most basic things, snow plows. What, I mean, now it seems there's a model for that to be followed. Um, and it does seem like it would be far more likely to impact uh, wage earners who are not in the C-suite, as you noted. How, how, how likely are we to, to see those things come to fruition? 
Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it already. I mean, let me just be honest. We've seen it before Prop 22. Uh, we've seen companies like Lyft and Uber actually going after night shift bus routes in smaller communities. These are good union jobs where people have benefits, have um, a pension, are able to really support their family and move ahead. And exchanging those night bus driver jobs for Lyft and Uber jobs, where, you know, I might take somebody from, you know, work um, to home in a late night shift, and um, I receive $2.62 and hopefully a tip, um, you know, versus an actual infrastructure uh, that, that supports transportation. Um, so, I, I mean, they're right now converting union um, shopping and delivery jobs uh, to Instacart work. Um, Nothing wrong with Instacart, except that those workers are not making um, even minimum wage. Whether we have Prop 22, I mean, Prop 22 is a very dangerous law. Um, it, it, it was um, framed in a way to deceive the public that this was actually going to help people in this industry. Um, I heard many um, speaking points for the Yes on 22 campaign talking about how this was going to guarantee people 120% of minimum wage. But what they didn't say was that was only during engaged time while we've accepted a job and moving it forward. This is like paying a cashier in a grocery store only for the time that they're actually checking out groceries. That's not the law of the land. And what it does is it guarantees us maybe 60 or 70% of minimum wage which just shouldn't be done. And that's still while we pay our own expenses for the wear and tear on our car, for gas, et cetera. This um, is a, sorry, a great me, jerk labor law. I, I apologize for, for butting in again. I, but I, 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 uh, Tom, I wanted to, I, well, both of you actually, but I, I, I really do wanna um, get a concept of, of how likely this is I think Nicole's made a great point of how likely this is to spread maybe to other industries. What about other states? Uh, we know Uber and Lyft and some of the other companies that, that were part of the of Prop 22 spent well over $200 million, which is a, a, a ton of money for a ballot measure. I don't think that's likely to, to be the case in every state, but certainly it, it costs a lot of money in states that have ballot measures to, to put a ballot measure on the, on, you know, before voters. How likely are we to see this spread to other states in some form or another, whether it's ballot measures or whether it's by, you know, getting legislative uh, endorsement and having it you know, the way AB5 was before we had Prop 22? I'll take a, I'll take a whack at it. Uh, and I'll try to address both points or both questions you had. So. So would Prop 22 or would the Prop 22 solution, how likely is it to apply to other industries, let's say in California? I actually think it's pretty rare. Um, I think it's unlikely. Um, and with all due respect to Nicole, I mean, this is a very unique industry and the services that are provided and the way they're provided is extremely unique. So you take the cashier that she was talking about. Well, that cashier is not working at CVS and Walgreens and, and Safeway simultaneously or offering her services simultaneously. Whereas all four of us on the screen right now 
have the opportunity to have our Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and Instacart apps open right now. And if we were to start to say, well, you should be getting a minimum wage for that, none of us are going to drive right now, but our apps would be open. And so and rather than deal with the issue of, well, how would you even calculate minimum wage? Or how would an employer guarantee the, the rights to a, a, a meal break to, an, to a person working on multiple apps at the same time? The legislature stuck their head in the sand and said, well, too bad, you're an employee. Well, a lot of consequences flow from that, and a lot of them are economic. In fact, most of them are economic. That would make the, the, the operation of the apps not viable, not economically viable. Therefore, the service goes away. Therefore, during a pandemic, when you need to have groceries delivered to your house and buy Instacart, there is no such thing as Instacart. And so th that's why I don't really believe Prop 22 is going to see itself duplicated in California to other industries. And also, I just remind everybody that AB5 carved out a bunch of exemptions, exemptions that look very much like what is occurring here. So, for example, the newspaper industry delivers newspapers to allegedly my front porch every morning. Uh, you know, I get close once in a while. Those drivers, those people that are delivering my newspaper have been independent contractors for centuries. And when AB5 was enacted, the first thing that happened was the newspaper industry said, well, no, we can't do that. We can't make these people employees. Okay, well, they're delivering the product of the newspaper industry. They're not delivering, you know, they're clearly directly working for those people. Um, whereas in the case of an uh, Instacart shopper or a DoorDash food delivery person, they have no relationship with that vendor. They're not, there's not no unique relationship to a particular restaurant. They're working for whomever um, asked them to go pick up something. And so, I don't really think, I don't really foresee Prop 22 applying outside of this sort of very unique situation. But with respect to other states, I think I really- I, Hey, Tom, I'm sorry. I, I, wanna, I wanna let you finish your answer, but I also wanna follow something on that because Prop 22 is very different from the carve-outs that you mentioned. And, yes. and, and, it, and we really should note how many industries have been getting uh, carve-outs on the, on, the, on the regular since AB5 passed. But Prop 22 requires, a I think it's a seven-eighths vote of the legislature uh, to change anything about it or return it. And that is not the case for any of the other carve-outs. I mean, it's a very specific benefit to these guys. The main feature of Prop 22 that's different than the carve-outs that we've talked about out of AB5 is, is that Prop 22 actually provides benefits to workers. Uh, so in other words, instead of just saying, no, no, the ABC test doesn't apply to you, you're on your own, Prop 22 provided benefits to drivers, including 120% of minimum wage, including health benefits, including accidental um, injury and death insurance and the like. And so, so it was different because it actually provided benefits. Um, and it was really what the drivers wanted um, that led to that conclusion. With respect to the seven-eighths thing, that's really an issue of initiative law. Um, so when you enact law by initiative, you have the, in nor under normal circumstances, the legislature can't amend it at all. Um, in fact, in order to amend an initiative under the Constitution, you have to go back to the voters um, and ask them for permission because it's been enacted by the voters. One exception to that is that if you, if you include an opportunity for the legislature to amend, you can do that in the initiative and, and have that apply. So the fact that Prop 22 actually allows the legislature to amend, even at a seven-eighths vote, 
is actually unusual for initiatives and is 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 a you know a benefit for the legislature to to reexamine some elements of Prop 22 if it can muster the votes in the future. Um, but all of them must be dedicated to furthering the purposes of Prop 22, which was to protect this, this, this industry and, and the ability of drivers to work independently. And then, you know, I've kind of dominated this conversation, but with risk, because you asked about other states, I, I always hesitate to assume that you can duplicate something like this in other states. First of all, not most states don't have the initiative and referendum power. Um, and, and, and the issue about employee classification is really different in every state too. California has very um, you know, progressive labor laws where we impose a bunch of requirements on employers um, when someone's classified as an employee that not all states do. And so it's possible in other states that, that companies are in this situation Frankly, it's not that big a deal. You know, if we're talking about just withholding, maybe that's not that big a deal. But in California, when we're talking about, you know, not just minimum wage, but we're talking, and, and by the way, minimum wage different in different parts of the state because we let local government set minimum wage. Um, so that's a complication. We have, you know, rest periods and we have break periods and lunch periods. We have overtime rules. We have consecutive day work rules. We have withholding. We have withholding for child support. We have a lot of rules that apply to that employee-employer relationship that are complicated by the fact that I can decide to become an employee by logging onto an app and saying, yes, I want to be a driver and actually never work say, yep, I applied for this job, but I'd never show up for work. Or I work for one ride and I go like, oh, well, I don't want to do this. And I never work again, but I don't quit. I don't actually do anything. Um, we never really, you know, we never really addressed how employment would work in this model because it, it frankly wouldn't. Well, I mean, I think the first thing you have to realize the majority of miles that are driven in rideshare are driven by full-time drivers. And these are drivers that maybe three or four years ago would have been doing okay at 40 hours a week. And now many, the majority of full-time drivers that I talk to are working 60, 70 hours a week to make the same thing that they were making four years ago. So um, let's be real about what kind of work this is. Um, you know, we can limit the number of drivers on the road um, and, and that kind of thing to make sure that there aren't people that um, don't have work all day, but, but that's not the point here. The point is this is really not a unique industry. It's just a new way of deploying a workforce. Um, I know in healthcare, we used to write um, schedules down on pen and paper. Now it's done by computer. It could well be done by an app um, at some point. Um, and that's what's unique about this taxi industry, food delivery is not a new industry. Um, you know, we used to be able to pick up a delivery job at Pizza Hut and you were paid minimum wage and your expenses were paid. That's the basic right. Um, I just want to also just uh, sort of counter this idea that that Prop 22 provides benefits. A lot of us thought that the 30 cents 
a mile um, benefit was going to happen, like they were going to somehow reimburse us for a mileage under 22. Um, as a matter of fact, it is not a reimbursement. What happens is um, they using uh, this engage time miles, engage time time, uh, they figure out what the baseline is, which is it's very low. And if you made more than that, you don't get a penny to reimburse your expenses for mileage. Um, and in terms of healthcare, um, the majority of people that I've interviewed in my own organization, Rideshare Drivers United, um, most of us either have insurance through a partner or through um, our another job that we have, or we're um, we're on Medi-Cal, or you know, because we don't make enough money um, to have to pay for insurance. Um, it's basically, you know. Um, we are too poor to have to pay for it. The, the, the um, companies are not reimbursing any of the, that type of health insurance. If we are on the exchange, the healthcare exchange, we don't receive reimbursement. I have yet to talk to somebody. I mean, the, the jury is still out on if healthcare benefits are even going to be impacted by this law based on what we're seeing. And, and you know, people are not meeting the standards for what the companies under Prop 22 are saying they're gonna pay. So most people I know are not getting any healthcare reimbursement um, based on this law. The real way that we raise all the boats is we make sure everybody is on a boat. If we just put this app-based workforce on its own law, <laughs> we're not raising that boat with everybody else. I mean, minimum wage, healthcare, sick leave, workers' compensation. I can't tell you how many drivers I know who've been injured on the job, either from lifting suitcases into the car or in um, traffic accidents or whatever, and they're left with nothing. Um, this is not the American promise. So if you put in an honest day labor, you want at least to have your basics covered. Um, labor law gives us benefits. It gives us a wage floor. And it well, gives a, the uh, opportunity well, me, to organize me, our own unions. Let mm -hmm. me ask about that because a big part of, of um, AB5, the intent behind AB5 was to give workers, if, if they're classified as employees, the, 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 the uh, legal means to form unions. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is, uh, and, and I'm sure you all can explain better than I understand how Prop 22 impacts unions. I'm, I'm interested though in how, what, what impact does this have on the move to unionize either the, uh, whether it's ride share workers or, uh, again, I'm, I'm seeing things where some unions around the country are considering essentially cutting preemptive deals with industries to try to avoid a Prop 22-like scenario in their communities. What does all this do to unions? And, and Leo, I know you had something you wanted to add here. You know, maybe you can also, uh, when, I'm going to let Nicole, Nicole answer this first, but you can tell us why this matters. Because I think these things all matter beyond, again, just rideshare people. But Nicole, what is, what is this going to do to unions in your, in your view? What's the impact on unions of, of, uh, if this law does stand as it is written? Well, as long as people try to characterize this whole industry as somehow unique or, um, you know, because it's app deployed, it's different, it's platform based, it's different. Um, 
as we move forward in um, the economy and more and more uh, industries adopt this kind of technology to deploy their workforce, we're going to see huge loss in people having rights on the job, whether it's to organize their own unions or whatever. I mean, we're seeing union jobs now converted to Instacart, non-union, independent contracting jobs, right? Um, and that's just the, the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg of what can happen with um, this kind of laws. The other thing is we're in a high period of, of community demand for quality and equity. And, um, you know, app deployed workers in delivery and driving, we're a majority people of color and immigrant workforce. And Prop 22 is basically a third category of labor. It's not really independent contracting and it does not get employee rights. So, um, you know, like domestic workers, like farm workers, this entire workforce is being given a second class worker category. We cannot continue on this path. Uh, we have to raise all the boats and that means everybody has to be on a boat and we cannot leave this huge workforce of delivery, um, dr drivers and anything app deployed outside of those boats. Leo, I can tell you, you have something to add here, please do. Yeah, so, so a few things to add. Let me, uh, I, I've actually been uh, listening in for a while, but let me clarify one point that Nicole mentioned, the 5.7 billion in, in, was in earnings, additional earnings for drivers. It's not just how much it grew the economy, it's that this was actually payments to drivers that would not have existed uh, if not for the growth of Uber and Lyft, right? So this is going to drivers, not going to uh, the corporations. The corporations themselves have been losing money. Only in 2019 did they start making money, uh, at the, right before the pandemic, and they you know, weren't making money again once the pandemic hit. Um, so really, you know, when we think about specifically Uber and Lyft, who this has benefited is the consumers that use these services, uh, the drivers, right? So this has actually generated additional earnings for these drivers. Who ended up losing out was all the shareholders and investors in these companies that have yet to make money, right? Maybe one day they will, but as of right now, they haven't been profitable. So that's one point I wanted to, to touch on. The other is, you know, we put a lot of, a, a lot of uh, responsibility and we shift responsibility to companies rather than to government for providing certain benefits, right? So we turn and we say, okay, well, companies are the ones that are responsible for providing healthcare, right? And why is that the case, right? Why is it the case that you only get healthcare, you only get unemployment insurance, you only get, uh, you only get, you know, disability insurance, workers' comp, if you know somehow you are an employee, but not if you're an independent contractor. Right. And so that is a little bit of the problem, not the classification, but why are our benefits so concentrated on actually being a worker? Right. We saw this problem right now in the pandemic when we had in April unemployment spike to nearly 15%. All of these are folks that lost health insurance. Right. And that's incredibly problematic in the middle of a pandemic to have your health insurance being tied to your work. And so, you know, I completely agree with Nicole. We have to raise all votes. But we do this by running the economy hot, which is what we expect to happen during these, uh, during these next several years, making sure that we have a very high minimum wage, right? something in the order of $15 per hour, so that even those that are going to be competing uh, for, for Uber and Lyft jobs have this alternative of a high minimum wage job. Right? We saw right now that Costco just announced they're going to be paying $16 an hour to their workers. Right? 
Amazon, Starbucks, Walmart have all you know joined on on this you know higher higher minimum wage trend. And what that means is that in order for Uber and Lyft to be able to attract drivers, they're going to have to pay something more in order for this to still be an attractive uh, you know attractive opportunity. I think that's the way we lift the boats. The concern with classifying certain workers, certain workers as employees, is that you might exclude a bunch of other workers that aren't lucky enough to be one of the ones to, you know, to have this draw. We saw this previously um, with unions, right? Unions have done a very good job uh, at improving the plight of workers. But if you look back at the years, they were doing a very good job at improving the plight of white male workers. And it has taken time for unions to actually open up and, uh, and enhance their membership and broaden their membership. This is actually benefiting minorities and communities of color. With apps, there isn't discrimination in terms of who can become a worker, right? You sign up to the app. And I think there was some reticence. I saw a question in the comments about, well, why were uh, you know, some minority communities uh, in favor of Prop 22? Why were they you know, yes on Prop 22? And that's some concern is that if you're going to be rationing the number of jobs so that you can improve the earnings, uh, the benefits for some workers who are now gonna be able to do this full time, who, who's gonna be the beneficiaries and who's not gonna be the beneficiaries? And the past history was usually that it was not the black and brown communities that benefited once you started rationing jobs. Let me follow up on that, Leo, because, um, you know, We've been talking a lot about the unions and uh, maybe what some of the, the benefits and detriments are across all these industries and around classification. And you, you brought up uh, something that I've heard a lot in the classification um, uh, conversation, which is um, portability of benefits, uh, you know, having uh, um, the employer be completely responsible for so many aspects of an employee's of a worker's, you know, healthcare and, and disability, all those things. Um, you know, that's a far bigger conversation than just what we're talking about here with Prop 22. But what we have seen with the with the Biden administration, uh, they've made it very clear that, you know, they're going to go a 180 from the previous administration in terms of uh, maybe being uh, much more supportive of the idea of unions and broadening union participation uh, uh, and enrollments. Uh, and just this last week, the Department of Justice rescinded a guidance letter from the previous DOJ administration that, uh, you know, essentially uh, gave carte blanche to most employers to, to, to turn their workers into um, contractors. You know, what what is the impact that you see, possible impact you see of the new administration on this whole issue uh, around gig economy workers and contract workers and employees and employee classification? So, I mean, first I think in terms of what this, if you contrast the previous administration with this administration, right? At a very high level, what the previous administration did is they assumed that the economy would improve from the top down. If you give corporations tax cuts, that will trickle all the way down and somehow benefit workers. And this administration is doing something completely different. They're saying, you know, a full bottom-up approach. Let's focus on the workers. Let's get more stimulus out. Let's get more fiscal relief out. Let's get $1,400 checks. Let's get credits uh, for people with, uh, with small kids. Let's expand uh, childcare so that people can actually go back to work. 
uh, without their, you know, the, the, the challenge of trying to manage uh, childcare and, and work at the same time. Uh, let's empower and embolden unions. And it doesn't mean let's make everything a unionized job. It's let's increase the bargaining leverage that unions have because they, you know, unions will also benefit non-unionized workers, right? They kind of push the envelope on what kind of uh, rights, what kind of wages, what kind of benefits we might be able to expect. And that has a broader effect on the overall employee base. Right, so this administration is taking this very different tack and really pushing for things like the $15 minimum wage that will ensure that a lot more money is coming to uh, the, the lower income categories of the population, that these people will go, you know, go out and spend more into the economy and that will generate more and more economic activity. And eventually, you know, this will trickle up to you know, benefiting corporate profits as well you know, and people that have equities in stock markets, but really it's a, a bottom-up approach. Right, you're starting by making the you know low-income workers uh, much better off. Um, I really think that this will actually allow the economy to do much better in these next five, ten years, and that's what we're forecasting than it did during these previous ten years. Right, these previous ten years. Let me actually give you one. You know, I, I know we're we're short on time. These previous ten years, we had a very different kind of policy, which was basically if we started getting below four percent unemployment then the economy must be running too hot. And therefore we must start slowing it down and applying the brakes by increasing interest rates because if unemployment falls too much, then we're gonna get inflation. And this administration, you know, the, the Secretary of Treasury, the Federal Reserve has thrown this, you know, throw this idea out the window and said, look, let's run the economy hot. We haven't seen inflation for the past 40 years. Let's push up the, the minimum wage, uh, let's, uh, increase fiscal, uh, you know, fiscal stimulus, and let's see if we can actually benefit workers, get unemployment down below three and a half percent, and not just focus on overall unemployment, but focus on unemployment for, uh, you know, minority communities, African American men and women, get that unemployment rate down before we even start thinking about inflation being a problem. Tom, yeah, let me. I think you. Thank you. I think you you asked a question, for example, you talk about healthcare and portability, and 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 what I would have wished eighty five would have been a discussion about was what is the future of labor law, and what and how does that relate to the future of labor? Because labor laws have been built up over decades and decades, which was built on a model of you're going to get some nine to five job, you're going to work forty hours a week, and you're probably going to work there for the rest of your life. And that is not the economy. Um, my son is probably going to have five or six different jobs before he ever retires. And, and my concern for him is, will he have health care in all of those jobs? Will, will his retirement benefits follow him? Those are the kinds of things that we should be talking about. And, and it's not really even a unionization question. That's really just a question of, of where is the labor market in the future and how should the law catch up to that? And what AB5 did was essentially bastardize that. It just said, well, we're going to continue with the 100 years of labor law we have, except where it doesn't apply to the people who have the most money and the most powerful lobbyists who can get an exemption. And for them, we'll give an exemption. And for those of you who don't, well, you're on your own. Well, the gig economy figured out, you know what? We're pretty sure that this is bad policy, that the voters of this state don't want that, that the drivers that work on these apps don't want this. And, and so they took it to the voters and the voters overwhelmingly said, we agree with you. 
That's not going to happen all the time, but it still doesn't fix the overarching problem of our antiquated labor laws that don't really fit with the future of work in California or frankly in the, in the entire country. Well, well I'll, I'll say I've had six different jobs and some of them have been union and some of them have been non-union. Um, I'll tell you that my benefits portable and non-portable have been much better in my union jobs than in my non-union jobs. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, labor follows the labor market, unions follow the labor market and the it's changing, right? We're all changing, but it does not change the essential tenet that, you know, we need to have people who have jobs make a certain amount of money that does not slip below. I mean, right now in LA, um, I drive by tent cities all the time where people are coming out of their tents at seven in the morning to go to jobs. Um, this is where we've slipped as a society. And if we don't figure out how to lift it, we will be in, you know, before there were labor uh, laws that protected people from the highest levels of poverty, homelessness, and that kind of thing before the New Deal. Um, we need to make sure that, that things like Prop 22 are not the new standard, that, that actually labor law that protects all of us is the new standard, whether we stay in a job for 40 years and then retire, or like me, have done a lot of different jobs over my life. And, um, you know, I, that there's a portable benefit called social security. There's a portable benefit called unemployment insurance, um, workers' compensation. Those are things that follow us around unless we're categorized as independent contractors and have no ability uh, to negotiate our I mean, we're not even independent contractors. We're misclassified independent contractors when we work for companies like Uber and Lyft. Great. If I could just jump in for a second, I had two quick questions. We've got about four minutes left. First is to Tom Hiltak, uh, is Prop 22 re referendable? We've had a history in California of referendums coming on the heels of initiatives that have been approved. Plastic bag immediately comes to mind. I think there are others as well. That would be one question. Second question is for Leo. Uh, you talked about the economic impact going forward nationally. Uh, would that economic impact be commensurate with California's experience or as you see California's experience? So first to Tom, is it referendable? Yeah, that's not the word I would use, John. Um, a referendum is a challenge to a legislative act, so an act enacted by the legislature. So, for example, AB5 could have been subject to a referendum in which it would have been placed on the ballot. The most recent example was Prop 25 was on the ballot in November. That was a referendum of the um, legislature's attempt to um, repeal bail. Um, so that was subject to a referendum. But in terms of Prop 22, um, any initiative that has been enacted by the voters can be changed by the voters by another initiative. So if somebody 10 years from now decided, gosh, we should change some element of Prop 22 and they could qualify an initiative for the ballot and the voters agreed with that, then that would amend Prop 22. Okay. And we've done that in the past, right? There's been a handful of initiatives over the last several decades that have come back and been revised by the voters. Okay. Uh, Leo, in terms of economic impact, uh, Sort of extending that out nationally, uh, do you see any 
what would be the economic impact if this was, for example, replicated in states like Illinois, New York, Florida, Texas, the big states? Well, I think, I mean, right now, you know, the, the replicating Prop 22 just maintains the status quo, essentially, right? It does very little to change the status quo. So, you know, the economic impact um, wouldn't, there wouldn't be much of an effect nationwide. It would be, what would be the economic impact if, um, you know, Prop 22 had not passed and there was a worker uh, reclassification, then I think the economic impact is that we would have had, you know, a, a lot more uh, job loss uh, in some of these, this, this app work. Um, higher benefits for those that, you know, remained employed, but a lot of job loss and a lot of income loss for those who weren't fortunate enough to actually become employees of these apps. Um, and so we're not in that situation to, you know, to know what the economic impact would have been. Okay, thank you. One last question. I want to squeeze one in for Nicole. Nationally, depending on what happens here in other states with a Prop 22-like initiatives or similar laws, is there a national effort among union folks and collective bargaining advocates to head this off in some fashion? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, it does not make sense uh, for you know hundreds of thousands of people not to be covered under uh, the, the Fair Labor Standards Act and basic labor law, right? So um, absolutely, I mean, think the, the companies are working really hard to get exceptions from um, employment law in, in New York and Illinois and those kinds of things. And there's a huge, um, you know, fight brewing. I mean, um, there, there's, um, uh, there are, there's legislation um, right now in the House of Representatives that will move to the Senate that would um, clarify these things. Um, but I, you know, I mean, right now we're really looking at, are, are we going to protect workers' rights or, or not? And, you know, what Leo's referring to about, you know, job loss, I mean, you know, I mean, AB5 is still in effect in the state of California, except for app-based delivery and drivers, you know, so, um, you know, and it's not job loss that we were concerned about under basic labor law, we, we, which was in force, but nobody was forcing the companies to do it yet. The, you know, the uh, California Attorney General's office did say you have to follow the law and that's when Prop 22 passed. But we hadn't even begun to see what it would mean if we were covered by labor law. I mean, in New York City, they do have a minimum wage for drivers now and they figured out how to work it. And drivers pay went from an average of 12 to $13 an hour to 17 to 18 dollars an hour and guess what the companies are still operating lots of people are still doing driving and um, they still have the flexibility that they had in the past i mean we can do this but we have to have the will to say guess what there's a lot of new technologies that are impacting how we get deployed to work but it's not going to affect our basic um you know core values which is that when you work, you deserve minimum pay and some safety net and benefits. And, okay, and that's what has to happen. Okay, fair enough. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Leo, Nicole, Tom, thank you so much. Rich Heisen, thank you very much. Did you have anything, Rich, you wanted to add? 
Uh, no, just uh, I appreciate the discussion. Uh, I always like uh, being part of a discussion where uh, everybody is smarter than I am because I get to learn yeah. something. So thank you. Appreciate I it. Can, I can relate to that. I look at this panel. Everybody's younger than me. I do not like that. So, you know, we're going to get a bunch of old people next time. So yeah, there, there you thank go. you all. Thank you all so much. Thanks. It really was nice. And I uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, Nicole, Leo, Tom, thank you so much. Rich, especially thank you, especially at the last minute. Uh, we owe you. And uh, to folks listening and watching, we thank you all. Thanks again. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.